are listening to The Weekly Brew. Welcome into The Weekly Brew. This is episode 24 of the podcast. And I know you're kind of curious right now, why are you listening to this on a Thursday morning or Friday? Who knows? Uh, And the reason is because we have a phenomenal interview. So as usual, I am joined by Kevin Cook. And uh, Kevin, uh, we had quite the interview this week. Uh, what's going to be really perplexing is if people are listening to this on a Saturday uh, or a Sunday or any other day of the week, because that's sort of how podcasts work. But but the idea is this did come out, an extra edition, if you will, on a Thursday. Um, because, yeah, because Lindsay Schnell uh, from Sports Illustrated was such a terrific interview that we felt she deserved um, not to have anything cut from it and to have her own uh, podcast. So I, I personally am thrilled um, that we got to do that interview. It was a great interview. And I'm thrilled that people will get to hear her interview in its entirety, because I think uh, it was so solid gold from start to finish, and I wouldn't want to cut a minute of it. Absolutely. So if you're not familiar with Lindsay Schnell, she's a staff writer for Sports Illustrated. She also works with uh, Campus Rush, and she also works with their college football podcast. So make sure and check that out as well. Uh, but Lindsay is a phenomenal talent for Sports Illustrated, great writer. And, uh, you know, we've been following her on Twitter for several weeks now. And uh, we noticed her coverage from the Orange Bowl and specifically Joe Mixon, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Uh, so we reached out to Lindsay last week and uh, we, you know, kind of communicated back and forth and on you know earlier this week we were able to record a podcast and as Kevin alluded to uh, you know I think initially we were planning on you know a 10 to 15 minute interview segment uh, in which we would include in a typical podcast but the content was just remarkable and so we were very thankful for Lindsay joining and uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast that we have set for you today. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew from the Pacific Northwest is Lindsay Schnell, a staff writer for Sports Illustrated and Campus Rush. Now, Lindsay, you've had quite the chaotic travel schedule over the last two weeks, East Coast to West Coast. It's almost reminiscent of a Lana Del Rey title track. How have you been so far? Uh, well, all I can say is that I do this to myself. When you live, when you live in the Pacific Northwest, it can be tough to get anywhere because like, Portland is not a major airport, but... All I can say is I'll be okay with not flying into DFW for like eight months, <laughs> given the amount of time I spent there while I was trying to get to Miami. So tell us what happened there. I mean, I, I noticed on Twitter that you had your bags lost. Is that correct? Well, along with half the country, I got stuck in Dallas because of the snow and ice and freezing rain and all that. And then I just, it was downhill from there. My bag was lost for a couple of days and I got it. All my clothes were soaking wet. Um, in the midst of this disaster, my credit card number was stolen, which I didn't realize for a couple of days. Um, so it was an eventful trip to say the least. But, you know, at the end of the day, my job is to cover college football. As Mike Riley at Nebraska likes to say, we're not laying brick. You know, it's I, I have perspective on it and I got to watch a I got to watch a great game. I got to be around awesome colleagues, you know, so it it all worked out. And I made it back safe, and all my clothes are still intact, even if they're still drying, and I still have all my shoes. So (laughs) things are okay. So you were actually down at the Orange Bowl covering, uh, I guess, on assignment for Oklahoma. What was that experience like kind of leading up to the bowl game and uh, the college football playoffs? So we were each assigned a team going into the playoffs. And because of where I live, I mostly keep tabs on the Pac-12 and Big 12. I am the only 
college college football specific writer who lives west of Texas. So because of that, those are kind of the conferences that I track the closest. And I've been on Oklahoma duty uh, dating back to spring. I was in Norman for spring football right after the whole SAE incident that they dealt with when they had a temporary practice boycott. So I was assigned the Sooners in early December. I went out to Norman for three or four days in mid-December to gather a bunch of material and then went from there. And, you know, it's fun. I still, I used to be a beat writer. I worked with the Oregonian for four years. I covered both Oregon State and Oregon. Most, I covered Oregon State for longer. And I know what the beat writer grind is like. I have a lot of respect and appreciation for how hard beat writers work. So I was there, um, you know, we were at media days, we were locked in your hotel writing a lot and transcribing interviews, and then you go to the hospitality room at the end of every night to meet up with other colleagues and relax and have a drink. So it was a lot of fun. One of the big stories that emerged from the Orange Bowl was Joe Mixon. And for our listeners that might not be familiar, Mixon pleaded in October 2014 to a misdemeanor assault charge uh, stemming from an incident at a Norman restaurant in which he uh, punched a female student at Oklahoma, was later suspended uh, for a year, uh, essentially took it as a red shirt. And, uh, you know, he was a high-profile student athlete coming out of high school, five-star running back recruit, ended up at Oklahoma, and he was still on the program. And at the Orange Bowl, that was the first time that he was available to speak to the media. And from what I understand, uh, the Orange Bowl representative said that he was not going to discuss non-football issues, specifically that incident. What was your reaction as a journalist covering that event and kind of hearing that directive from the Orange Bowl? So this was a complicated situation, right? So Mixon is one of the best high school prospects in the country coming out of going into college. This incident takes place the summer that he's going, the his transition summer into college. Um, he takes a plea deal. He is suspended for the season from team activities, although he still had his scholarship. So basically he didn't practice but still got to work out and do what he wanted and still got his education paid for. And in all this time, he did not speak to the media. This year he emerged as a big part of why they had a lot of success. Him and Samaje Piran had were a tremendous, you know, one two running back duo and then coupled with Baker Mayfield who emerged as a Heisman Dark Horse. Oklahoma really <clears throat> after a rough eight and five season when a lot of people were very disappointed in them because a lot of people thought they had what it took to go into the to make the initial college football playoff in 2014, they had this resurgence. And Joe Mixon is a big part of that. Throughout the season, he was kept away from the media. Well, the college football playoff stipulates, just like the BCS did, that every single player and every single coach be available for interviews on one day. The big media day, they bring everyone to the stadium or to a hotel conference room, and it's a free-for-all. You have an hour, you just wander around and talk to people. So Mixon was going to be available. Um, now, I don't know what happens if you don't bring someone. There are rumors that there's a fine, but I don't, I've don't. i never actually seen that like in writing anywhere. And a few years ago, there was an incident where a team did not bring all its assistant coaches to the DCS. 
And what I had actually made a joke to someone when they to someone out of Oklahoma when they said, Well, we were told that we have to bring Mixon. I said, Can I please be in the room when someone tries to tell Bob Stoops what to do? Because these coaches <laughs> these coaches like run the run the school, they run the roost. It's it's their program, they do what they want. But to Oklahoma's credit, they were gonna bring Mixon. So there's a huge crowd of reporters huddled around this little table with his name on it. And an Orange Bowl rep comes over and says, per Oklahoma, Mixon will only be taking football-related questions, and if you ask, if you repeatedly ask non-football-related questions, you will be asked to leave. And I was sitting there thinking, this is a joke. Now, he can answer what he wants to answer or not answer, but first of all, it's, it felt very un-Oklahoma to me. They're pretty good to work with from a media standpoint. And then we're going to be asked to leave. All I could think was, good luck getting these 50 reporters. Like, are you going to individually escort all of us out? And that's going to create (laughs) a bigger problem. That's going to create a bigger story. Well, it comes out later, I found out that that was never, that that was Oklahoma's plan. That Nixon had been advised by his lawyer to only take football-related questions. And I get that. But that Nixon was going to say that, they never directed the Orange Bowl to give that information to reporters or to speak on behalf of Oklahoma. So that Orange Bowl rep spoke out of turn. And then the thing about leading reporters away was, like, that didn't seem to come from anyone. I think that this Orange Bowl rep just got, you know, a little got a little inflated with power and said some <laughs> stuff he wasn't supposed to. Um, so, anyway, when Nixon got there, he was seated next to uh, their head sports information director, Mike Houck, Neither of them became agitated in asking, you know, in all the people, because, of course, we're going to ask non-football-related questions. I mean, it's been a year and a half, and he has not been available to the media. It doesn't matter that some people think this is an old story. He's never spoken about it. So we are absolutely going to ask. And you ask the question because that's your job as a reporter. And also, you never know. Sometimes people slip up, and they say, I'm not going to talk about this but you ask the question and they wind up talking about it. You know, um, the example I've given someone is let's pretend that Bob Stoops made some crazy call in a game and then didn't speak to the media for a year and a half after it. Well, the first thing we're going to ask him is about this crazy call, you know, that he, when he inserted like a backup, you know, quarterback, obviously I'm just making up a hypothetical situation, but he inserted a backup quarterback for the final play to throw a Hail Mary and it didn't work. Well, we want to know why. Are fans going to say that's old news? Forget about it. No, you have a right to ask those questions. And if he chooses to answer them, that's his right and his business. But I I took a lot of flack on Twitter. And one of the things I said to someone was, Oklahoma does not sign my paychecks. I don't work for them. I work for Sports Illustrated. He Nixon was the biggest news of the day. I didn't even know I was going to write about him actually until about an hour before Oklahoma took, came into came to the stadium for media day because I was working on a few other things. Um, but yeah, and it's that's that's where it went, and that was the genesis of it. And I always think that you know when you're when you're a reporter who works for a respected organization, you have to be willing to ask tough questions. And it can be tough. It can be uncomfortable. It's hard when you have 
a good relationship with a school or a team or a coaching staff. And sometimes the people that you are writing about the subjects, they think you're friends and you're not friends. You have a good, you can be friendly, but you're not friends, but you don't always have time to explain the, the nuances of those relationships. And it can be tough to ask questions, but you know, I, I asked him a lot of stuff and he didn't really answer most of it. Uh, he and I had a awkward, I would, I would call it awkward exchange or interesting, unconventional when he responded to one question. I don't remember if it was mine by saying, uh, I'm a great person. And then I followed up and said, why do you think you're a great person? Because he broke this woman's jaw. You know, this woman, she it was four breaks in her face, a broken jaw. She had surgery. Given that, whether or not he's, he was provoked is 100% not the point. Two wrongs do not make a right. I think we're taught that from a very young age. And you do not put your hands on a woman. We're all taught that from a very young age. I thought it was interesting that he used that phrasing. So when I said, uh, why do you think you're a great person? He said something about if you spent time around me, you would you would know that. And then he said to me, are you a great person? And I said, no. Um, <laughs> and he said, well, I think you, I, you seem like a great person or you look like a great person. I, I don't remember what the exact phrasing was, but it was it was just strange. You know, he was trying to make it, I, I don't know if he was trying to make it personal. That might not be the right way to say it, but I thought you, I've been talking to you for two minutes and you've decided that you think I'm a great person because of that. Like, I, I don't know, just what's your definition of great and who gets to decide those things. And I very much believe that whatever type of person you are, you, that should just be shown through your actions. That's like, I'm always baffled when you talk to often an athlete and they say, I'm just a humble guy. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> if you're humble, you don't say that you're humble. That's so weird to me. Um, so it was, a, it was an interesting situation. It became quite the spectacle. And because of the order that had been issued about football questions only and blew up to an even bigger story on, on a national scale. So you got sort of embroiled in that as well. I mean, there was certainly feedback uh, from, you know, your article on Twitter and, and from your interaction with him on Twitter as well. I was wondering if you kind of speak to some of the, uh, you know, the derision or animosity you received and, and, and why do you think that was exactly? Because I've, I've read the piece. I thought it was very fair and, and well-written and, and insightful. So I'm, I'm curious about why you think that sort of fell upon you after this piece. Well, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, there's a group of fans. I I choose to believe that it's a pretty small group of fans when you think of all the people who root for Oklahoma who believed it was old news and we should be moving on and who don't understand our job. So it's not my job to ask them things that are going to make them happy. Mixon had actually brought up his girlfriend and said that she was someone that kind of helped him in that off year get through it and stick with it and, you know, not transfer or quit altogether. And then I thought about that and I thought about Bob Stoops' daughter who's about the same age as the victim and I just very much believe that if someone had broken her jaw, um, that person wouldn't be playing football still. And I asked that in the piece I wrote, you know, what if it were these people? Uh, I said, you know, specifically I said, would, if, if someone broke 
Nixon's girlfriend's job, would Nixon describe that person as a great person? Probably not. So I think that there were people who believed I was making it personal. And I talked to someone involved in the OU program who said, you know, you shouldn't have brought those people into it. And look, I wrote those names to provoke emotion. If you're mad about it as a reader, you should be. Because maybe that gives you a small insight into what the victim's family felt and maybe still currently feels when they see Nixon play. It was an emotionally charged topic. And I think that we often view violence against women, domestic violence, sexual assault as something that happens to someone over there who I don't know. And in reality, you need to look at it and understand this this could happen to a woman I know. This could happen to a child I know, any of those things. So I wrote it to provoke emotion. I wrote it to make it personal, but people didn't like that. And, you know, it's really easy on Twitter for someone to call you out, to call you names, to be negative, to hide behind a computer and you know, that's that's those people's choice. So it's part of a gig, you know. I, I do think too that because I'm a woman, you just get attacked more. <laughs> that's just how it works in our world. Um so I think that probably sparks some of the animosity also. You talk about naming the uh, the names, making it personal or whatever. I feel like my my feeling is that people would have attacked you regardless just because you sort of took on this issue and people wanted to sweep it under the rug and get on with the business of playing football. So, I mean, what, as a society or as a culture or as academic institutions, what needs to be done uh, to hold athletes accountable uh, and you know create a safer, uh, more inclusive environment where this sort of thing is not tolerated? Because I think it, it certainly shouldn't be. I mean, it starts at the top, you know, coaches, athletic directors, school presidents. They have to make a choice about who represents their program and about where they draw the line. And a lot of the questions I asked in the piece I wrote were just about that. Where do we draw the line? I agree that people deserve second chances, but do the second chances need to come at the highest level? Oklahoma is a championship-level football program. Is that where someone deserves a second chance? Um, And, again, he – he just sat out a year. A lot of freshmen redshirt. Like on the, it doesn't even say on his bio like was suspended for the 2014 season. It just says redshirt season. Like that doesn't. That, that's crap. <laughs> um, but I think that there are coaches out there. Charlie Strong at Texas is a terrific example who have said they have a zero tolerance policy against this, and they. You know, their actions speak louder than their words. Again, you know, if you hit a woman and you play for Charlie Strong, you're going to play somewhere else. I have a lot of respect for coaches who do that. I also think let's call a spade a spade, okay? The reason that Joe Mixon is playing is because he's a good player. If he were some fifth-string walk-on, we wouldn't be having this conversation because he would have been cut. So just say that. (laughs) Like, stop treating fans like they're stupid. I asked Joe Castiglione, the athletic director, at Media Day. He also was he was available at Media Day and talked to some reporters. He said something about this is absolutely this absolutely has nothing to do with his playing ability. And my response to that was, Do you think people actually believe you when you say that? Like and he seemed surprised by that question and he said, Well that's you know up to each individual to decide and he's right but don't treat me like I'm dumb you know uh 
I'm not we're not talking about breaking down some football play that has like levels of complexity. He broke a woman's jaw and he was allowed to still play on the team. This is a pretty black and white issue. You say you have a no tolerance policy against you know, you say you have no tolerance for violence against women, but look who's on your roster. It's not just Mixon. There were other players. You know, they took Laurel Green Beckham, who had been dismissed from another school for and had been accused of violence against women. Where's the line? Like, let's have an honest conversation about that. And if you think that this is old news, then you should have put him in front of the media before this. And bring his lawyer with you if you want. That's fine. I actually thought that he, his lawyer should have been there. His lawyer can say, we're not going to answer that. We're not going to answer that. And, you know, Mixon was asked a couple football-related questions. He gave a pretty lengthy answer on uh, uh, what he saw from Clemson's defense, like what was good, what were things maybe he could exploit, pushed it out to hit him on film, that type of stuff. But don't uh, don't blame the media because you guys have tried to hide him away. And I very much believe that the video is going to become public at some point. I don't know when, but I think this is going to continue to be a story as long as as long as he's on the team. It's kind of a disturbing trend what we've seen in you know the NFL and college football domestic violence, especially starting with. Uh, you know, the Ray Rice incident, uh, you know, he was initially suspended for two games until that video did come out and there was public outrage. And it seems like every time an incident happens like this, there's public outrage, but nothing happens. And I mean, this is not an issue that's just unique to Oklahoma. I mean, this happened at Vanderbilt with the rape case. This happened at my alma mater, Baylor, this past year with Sammy Guachu. I mean, it's it's an ongoing issue. I want to go back to something that you said earlier uh, regarding the SAE incident at Oklahoma. I mean, that was an issue with racism, and their school president, David Bourne, took a strong stand, expelled the student. Do you see this as sort of hypocrisy when those big dollars are involved for the college football program? I think it's major hypocrisy. I think that Oklahoma, as a program, this this roster in particular, and Eric Stryker, their linebacker, stands out as the voice of this and the face of this movement. I have so much respect for them, how they stood up and they had difficult conversations about race, both within our, within their campus community and within our country and what it means. And Stryker did a beautiful first-person piece for us uh, at Sports Illustrated's Campus Rush about why he's never just going to stick to sports, why social justice is important to him. And uh, at Media Day at the Orange Bowl, I asked, Stryker and I asked Ty Darlington, their center, both of whom are awesome people, you know, are you worried about being hypocritical in this case? And both said no. Ty Darlington in particular said, you know, this is a really complex issue that can't be summed up into a 15-second soundbite, which I agree with. But they, you know, to me, it's so obvious that it's hypocritical it sounds like from their point of view that these are two separate things, but I don't think you can only stand up for one part of social justice or pick and choose. Or if you want to pick and choose, then you have to be ready for people to call you out on that. And so if they're going to talk about race issues, but we're not going to talk about violence against women, you know, and it's, look, it's their teammate. They're going to have his back. I get that. As a player, I think you're in a really tough situation because 
especially when you get to the next level professionally, your livelihood depends on sometimes you keeping your mouth shut. And that might not be fair, but it's realistic. You know, if, if you're a player on an NFL team and you disagree with a decision a GM made above you and you talk about it, you might not be playing for that team anymore. And then you're not getting a paycheck. And at the collegiate level, these guys, they, they don't have power. You know, their coaches have the power. If you speak out, you might get benched. I mean, I understand that, but if you're going to – make it an issue in the first place. If you're, if you're going to talk about anything, you better be ready to be asked questions about everything. And I think it's a worthy discussion that we should continue to have in a public forum. You know, it's interesting when you talk to people around the OU program, a lot of them really like Joe Mixon. I think he's a really fun guy. It's clear that he has a lot of personality. Um, I think he's well-liked by his teammates and his coaches, but that's not what we've seen. I mean, what, what, the, what the public has to go off of is this, you know, there's a, some people have seen the video of him punching a woman and breaking her jaw, and then we don't talk to him at any sort of football stuff, but we, we watch him. He's a really good player. And then we see him interact with the media for, I don't think he sat there the whole time. I think he was probably there for about 45 minutes of the 60. That, that might be wrong. He might have been there the whole time. But, you know, he, he sits down and he takes a selfie. That's the first thing. I mean, he comes across wow. as he thinks it's funny that all these people are standing there waiting to talk to him. And <laughs> perception is reality. Maybe that doesn't matter to him. You know, he, he writes on Twitter at the beginning of the season, this season is for all my haters. And then he deletes it, but not before a million people had screenshotted it, you know, and asked him about it later. So, yeah, I think you, you just perception is reality. I From a very young age, I think we're taught that and you need to be willing to have those conversations. And, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's hypocritical to a certain degree. And I don't really know how you can argue otherwise. I don't know. I'd like to hear a like detailed argument from someone who can explain to me how it's not hypocritical. When you looked at your at mentions after publishing that story on Campus Rush, I mean, some of them were, uh, you know, some of the commentary was just atrocious uh, by some supporters. And you had mentioned that that was, you know, a small minority, a small segment of the fan base. But one of your colleagues at Sports Illustrated, Richard Deitch, uh, back in August, uh, did a story on his, uh, you know, weekly media launch, which he interviewed several women that work in sports and, you know, specifically the harassment that they uh, receive on social media. I'm curious, from your perspective, how difficult is it being a woman in a kind of a male-dominated industry and, you know, trying to persevere through that um, I want to say, is hate the appropriate word or jealousy? I'm, I'm not sure what the appropriate word is there. You know, it's interesting because when we talk about it being a male-dominated world, but I, when, I, when I hear the words like male-dominated industry, what we think of are our relationships with our colleagues, right, most of whom are men. And 90% of my interactions have been awesome. I love people I work with, both at SI and at other major news organizations. Um, but yeah, you get, you hear a lot of things 
when you're a woman. Um, we've seen obvious examples of this, and Deitch has chronicled this al- along with a lot of other people. Um, you get attacked for the way you look, uh, which is particularly confusing if you're a writer. <laughs> I don't think that that matters, <laughs> um, how you look. Um, that seems to be an easy go-to. You get accused of having ulterior motives uh, for why you are want to be a sports writer and be around athletes and coaches all the time. Um, yeah, it's annoying. It's part of kind of part of what you sign up for. Um, I think it's even worse if you're a minority woman. Um, I think you know <clears throat> men who are in a racial minority have to deal with it also, like really just horrible things that you would never say to anyone um, face-to-face. I haven't uh, really, like, looked into this, but my understanding is that Twitter just banned hate speech. Is that a good way to kind of sum it up? And if you are attacked for, you know, your race, your religion, your gender, any of those things, like, you can be that person who's attacking you can be maybe kicked off Twitter. I'm not entirely sure. Like I said, I, I don't know all the particulars of it. This is just the way of the internet though. I mean, all these people who are mad about something, first of all, I have an email address and anyone could email me at any time. So if you really have a problem with it, why don't you write me an email? Why don't you sign your name to that email and we can have a dialogue. I respond to most of the emails I get. Um, But I think, you have to just learn to ignore it to a certain degree. It's, it's, but it's easy to say that. And I get frustrated when people say, oh, just ignore it. Because when you're being attacked and your character is being attacked, I mean, if someone did walk up to me and start shouting horrible things to my face, I would stand up for myself. <laughs> so, and I think other people would stand up for me. Um, but yeah, uh, to me, I don't deal with that as much as, when people ask me what's it like to be a woman in this business, you'd be shocked at the number of times I'm in some sort of social setting with men and it comes up, yeah, I am a sports writer. I work for Sports Illustrated. And people, both men and women, but a lot of men go, wow, really? Do you like sports? And I'm always wow. baffled by that. Uh, I, I typically have one or two responses. If I'm not in the mood to engage, I'll say only NASCAR and then walk away. <laughs> If I'm feeling feisty, I will say, you know, let me respond with a question. Would you ever ask a man that question? Because they wouldn't. Because we have this idea in our society that men, all men like sports, and therefore it's not strange for a man to want to be a sports writer. When people ask me how I got into this job, as if it's unfathomable that a woman could be in sports, I say, like a lot of men did, I was an athlete. I grew up in a gym. You know, for me, my dad has been a basketball coach for 40 plus years. My mom used to be a big time basketball official in the Pac-12 and the ABL, the the old women's pro league. My brothers and I were all athletes. I mean, I was a coach. I was a collegiate athlete for a brief period of time at Oregon State. I was on the crew team. You know, (laughs) I got into sports like a lot of men (laughs) for the same reasons that a lot of men did. Um, So I think you just you have to learn how to tune it out, you know, that, that old thing about, you know, do what you want because, you know, what is it? Th- those those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. And so you just, yeah, it gets, it gets frustrating. And what's hard is that I feel this need to try to 
to try to explain myself. Like, I want to believe that if, if I could just talk to this person, we could reach some common ground, you know? But I think a lot about something a mentor of mine said once. She told me, you can never have an argument with someone who's coming from an illogical foundation. So if you're coming from a place of logic and they're coming from a place of not logic, there's never going to be a middle ground. (laughs) And I think that that's really true. So if someone's just going to attack me on Twitter because they don't like what I wrote, well, that's their choice. But, you know, I don't have to... And and maybe the maybe you just shouldn't respond, but I would never want to be considered someone who who's ducking it. Um, and if people have genuine questions, you know, I, I think we should talk about it. Uh, in the aftermath of that Nixon story, uh, someone reached out to me and said, <clears throat> "What? Uh, well, she put her hands on him first, so where's the line?" And I said, "That's a great question. You know, and that's a discussion we should have." Um, but now I have not watched the video. I've talked to multiple people who have watched it and the woman, the victim, she did put her hands on him first, but it was very, it's been described as like very, very, uh, slight. Um, she like, she like sort of slaps his neck, but slaps. I think, I think slap is even a hard, is even like too harsh a word to use. Um, but where do we draw that line? I had another guy who emailed me and said, no, I'm an, I'm an Oklahoma fan who thought that it was wrong that we kept this guy on the roster, but I don't think you should compare him to Ray Rice because I had a line in there about Ray Rice. And I wasn't comparing him to Ray I wasn't comparing Mixon to Ray Rice because those are obviously right. two different situations. I was saying that when Ray Rice's video went public, that was like a wake-up call for America, and that was when some people – decided to draw the line so anyway i mean yeah it's tough to be a woman um (laughs) but that's just that's the hand you were dealt and i think that there can be advantages too you know being a woman in this business so uh, all i know is that this is you know how god created me and i like it and i'm gonna do everything to the best of my abilities I'm interested in that. You mentioned there's advantages. I I hear, you know, a great deal these days about the disadvantages of being a woman. And obviously, you know, there's pay gaps and and, uh, the way women are treated and so forth. But I'm I'm curious about the advantages. Uh, Could you speak to that a little bit? Well, I think that being underestimated can be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, When people don't take you seriously all the time, they are more apt to tell you things because maybe they don't fully recognize how you'll be able to take that information and parse it out, um, how you'll be able to dig deeper. Um, I think that when you're working on a story that's emotionally charged, it's acceptable to be emotional in front of a woman, to cry, whereas sometimes people struggle with that um, in front of a male. Um, I think, you know, I I look at things differently, I did a story um, a few years ago when I covered the Ducks, Kenyon Barner, who was a running back for them. His, okay, I think it was his sophomore year, he was returning a punt or a kick, and he got taken out in a helmet-to-helmet collision, and he was knocked out completely, like lost consciousness, had to go to like, life. I don't know if he was life-flighted, but he was taken to the hospital. No, very scary. And I wrote the whole perspective, I, and then, 
he was okay. And then next year when they played Washington State, I wrote a story on that and this, like, horrible moment in his career, and I wrote the entire thing from the perspective of his mother. And that's not to say that a man couldn't do that, because certainly they could, and there are a lot of fantastic male writers. But my first inclination was to think of, oh, what was his mom's reaction when that happened? Um, but I mostly I think the, the being underestimated thing can just, it can really work to your advantage. Um, it's tough, and I think you have to pick and choose your spots when you stand up for yourself as a woman because as much as you would like to rail against every different form of sexism and call people out for it, you don't want to get a reputation where that's what you're about instead of your work. You always want it to be about the work. Um, but I, I don't know. It just and it's fun, you know. There's never a line in the bathroom in the press box for the women's bathroom. <laughs> like, I'm serious. You will ask, but like, you know, between quarters, there's not a lot of time. I mean, stuff like that. Um, it can be really simple. It's easy. Okay, think about if you're a big-time athlete, collegiately or professionally, right, you talk to dozens of reporters all the time. Even, like, your beat reporters that you see on a regular basis, there's a lot of them. If you're the only woman, people are more apt to remember your name. That's an advantage. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I just – it's it's hard, but it's not like I sit around wishing I were a man. <laughs> not a thing. <laughs> Well, Lindsay, uh, I have one thing I've been kind of reading as I've, I've been going through your stuff here is the uh, walk-on stories that you do for Campus Rush, and uh, actually happened across one uh, dealing with Hayden Daniels, uh, Owen Daniels' little brother, who is uh, obviously playing for my uh, Houston Cougars, my beloved Houston Cougars. I'm a U of H alum. And so I was curious if you could talk uh, a little bit about, um, I don't know, doing those stories, sort of how they come to you and, and what the experience has been like of digging into those stories and, and relating to people, and then particularly, uh, obviously, the one about the Hayden Daniels. So this year we launched Campus Rush, which if you are an NFL fan, you're probably familiar with MMQB, which is our vertical website dedicated to NFL coverage, spearheaded by Peter King, who's the best NFL reporter in the business. This year, we did what I explained to people as the college version of MMQB and Campus Rush. And as we were figuring out kind of our weekly game plan, my editor, one of my editors called me and said, okay, I want you to do a story. The walk-on. You're going to profile one walk-on a week. And I was like, I love it. It's right up my alley. I really like human interest pieces. I think a lot about the things that, you know, unite us, the things that are real. It's really easy for us to put athletes, celebrities, anyone that has a high-profile position up on a, you know, up on a pedestal. And we forget that, you know, they're just a person like us. They just, they happen to be really good at something in a public arena, but they have the same fears, the same struggles, all of that. Just, I think it's always about humanizing people. So I do this walk-on series, and so I started research in the summer trying to find, you know, who has walk-ons, who has walk-ons that are going to contribute who has walk-ons with interesting backstories? Because I didn't want to write the same story for 15 weeks. You know, this person had offers at four FCS schools, but he turned them down to walk on at his dream FBS school. That gets really boring. That, that's right. boring. Like, like we've read that story a million times, and our industry is so saturated with 
news and features and all this. I'm constantly thinking about how to distinguish myself, how to do something different. So this was one way of doing that. And I made a good, I had a list, you know, going into the year, but then of course, you know, players got hurt. My my Nebraska walk-on was hurt forever. <laughs> this is a great story that we were just waiting to write. I needed them to get healthy. Um, and then the I believe that the week that Evan Daniels ran was the week that they that Houston played Memphis. And obviously Houston has you know had a great year under Tom Herman. Herman had done a first-person piece for us on Campus Rush about how you take a program, you know, from the ground up type thing and uh, starting over. And I was just, well, what can we do that's different? And especially that week when all the focus was on Houston and Memphis, okay, let's talk about a kid that not very many people are talking about and one who happens to have an interesting backstory because he has an older brother that's had a ton of success. Well, we've seen that a lot. You know, what's it like to live in an older sibling's shadow? But, man, oh, man, it must be really tough when – that older shadow has, you know, been to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> has some? Uh, does he have a Super Bowl ring? I don't recall. He played for the Texans quite so a while. <laughs> yeah, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> but he has been to the Pro Bowl once or twice, right? Correct. Um, so anyway, so it was fun and talking to families and uh, yeah, I love it. I I don't know that it was my favorite. Um, I really liked the walk-on story about the Clemson kid, Hunter Renfro. And then he had a great – Hunter Renfro had a great game in the Orange Bowl. That's the thing you always think about as a reporter is whenever you write about someone, you want them to have a good game. Your greatest yeah. fear is you spend all this time, you know, and energy pouring your, you know, this person's story onto the page and fine-tuning it so that it's, like, beautiful, and then they suck. <laughs> like, <laughs> such your biggest fear. When Zach Sanchez from Oklahoma got an interception uh, in the first half, I was, like, jumping up and down in the press box because I had just written this big feature on him. And then Hunter Renfro has a great game, and Ben Bulwer makes a huge interception for Clemson. The only thing that would have, like, popped off that game for me personally is if Ty Darlington and Trevor Knight, like, led Oklahoma on a comeback. Because then everyone that I have written about between those two teams would have been taken <laughs> care of. But um, the walk-on, I, I think, you know, I started the series with the bounty hunter from Kansas. Um, and when I wrote it, I thought, it's going to be really tough to top this. <laughs> but um, had I had a lot of fun with that series. And I'm excited to do it again next year and find new interesting stories. So here on the Weekly Brew, we like to kind of network with other podcasts. We've had uh, some, specifically, uh, one of our friends out in Los Angeles runs a Houston Rockets podcast, but uh, one of the things that you also do at Sports Illustrated is uh, the college football podcast, and you kind of took a different angle with uh, your most recent episode on Arborhood, but what is it like for you to you know, be able to sit down and record and, uh, you know, interact with people on a different medium rather than just writing. Well, that goes back to <clears throat> talking about distinguishing ourselves. You know, we, we do the podcast, Zach Ellis and I co-host it and typically it's once a week and we bring on, you know, guests to talk about games that week or some hot topic. You know, we brought on Lindsay theory from the LA times, when Steve Sarkeesian got fired, 
Um, we brought on beat writers from Michigan State and Alabama to preview the Cotton Bowl. Uh, of course, we bring on our esteemed colleagues, Andy Staples, you know, to talk about anything and everything related to college football. But I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I love the idea of telling a story. And when I heard about this, to give people a little bit of background, so Ty Darlington, Trevor Knight, and three other players live, you know, rent a house in Norman, but it's not in, like, a college rental part of town. It's in the middle of all these young families, and they've become friends with all these young families. So I heard about this, and I thought, gosh, that would be a great story. And, you know, kids are the best quotes because they're authentic and unfiltered. And when I was um, a reporter at the Oregonian, my go-to whenever I got assigned some general some general story about some event that was going on, you know, like when I got tricked into, like, covering the Timbers, or which I don't really know anything about soccer, and I don't really like soccer personally, um, or I got sent to cover, like, a rodeo one time. Like, like I know anything about that. It's not my area of expertise. My go-to is always find a kid, interview a kid. So this story, I, I knew that this would be a great story, like, you know, setting this scene of these players playing tag in the yard with all these little kids, having the little kids tell me what their favorite parts are about them. But as good as that story is, it would be even better if you could hear that kid's voice. And with a podcast, as I learned, I mean, it was it was absolutely a trial and error experience. <laughs> you know, they shipped me the equipment in Norman, and I used, I learned how to use it an hour before I went out and did my first interview. Wow. My first interview was Trevor Knight. For the, we were talking for 10 minutes before I realized it wasn't recording both our voices, and because he is very kind, he let me start over. <laughs> um, <laughs> We've been there. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. It's uh, I was seriously. It, it's like Trevor is really one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. So I told him what happened. He's like, "It's okay. We can start over." Um. So yeah, I just I wanted to try something new and different. And again, I go back to how do you distinguish yourself? There are so many stories, and so much news, and so many stand-ups and videos, and. With a podcast, like, it's me. It's me and the equipment, and then we take it back and we, you know, figure out how to produce it. When you get a video crew, video features are amazing. And when they are well done, oh, they're awesome, and it's the way of the future, right, because we all watch stuff on our phones. It takes – but you have to coordinate, like, seven people's schedules to do that, which is very challenging. So with this, I thought, hey, I've got, like – Send me the equipment. I'll figure it out. Um, and I was very happy with the finished product. I really had no idea what I was getting into. At one point, I was on the phone with one of my producers um, after I had got all the information. And, you know, I interviewed 18 people for it, which is, like, I, I would say that's about what you interview for, you know, a really well-done, detailed feature. But then I had to figure out how to incorporate those 18 voices <laughs> into a script and I had never written a script before so a lot of it was I just listened to podcasts that are really well done and was like okay well I think they do it this way and I worked with an amazing you know producer at SI named Alex Abnos and our kind of the, the other producer was Dan Bloom he works for the Panoply Network which we partnered with and 
he's awesome. He totally shared my vision. And it was tough because, like, when I just had the idea and I was pitching it to people and trying to talk about it, like, no one got it. And, like, I was talking with someone, and he's like, you should write this. And I'm like, no, it's it's going to be better this way. Like, they, I wasn't doing a good job explaining it, and I didn't really know what I wanted, like, how I wanted to do it. So I was I was really happy with it. My favorite part is, in the beginning when I'm talking with Cora and Claire Green and I asked Claire if she has a crush on Trevor Knight and she says oh yes. <laughs> and then I ask her, what's your favorite part of watching the games? And she goes, well, seeing Trevor. <laughs> I mean, when I listen to it, I just, I laugh so hard. Just thinking about it makes me smile. And I'm hopeful that people, that other people had that reaction who did not, who don't know those families or who weren't part of it. Because that's always the, the people that you write about, they're going to be connected to the story all the time. But you want it to resonate with everyone outside. And I, I think that it did, you know. There's, like I said, a lot of trial and error. I'm excited to do more. Um, it was It was really fun. That did not strike me as being like a first effort. I mean, I thought it was very polished, very well put together. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It definitely resonated with me. So I can't speak for anyone else, but I thought it was uh, a remarkable job. So that's, that's Lindsay Chanel. Um, SI College Football would be the podcast that she's from. So if you're listening to this one, you should also listen to that one and subscribe uh, on iTunes. But uh, if the listeners are curious about where else they can find you and your work, Lindsay, uh, where can they look? Well, I would just I would follow me on Twitter at Lindsay underscore Chanel, and it's L I N D S. A-Y underscore S-C-H-N-E-L-L. I post all my work there. Uh, I'm a regular on campusrush.com. And then, of course, like you said, on the SI College Football Podcast, you know, subscribe, leave us a review, send us an email, all that good stuff. Lindsay, we definitely appreciate it. I I know I had a lot of fun uh, just chatting with you on, uh, you know, everything from your coverage from the Orange Bowl to... Uh, your most recent Arborhood podcast. I mean, it, it's it's been a great conversation. We definitely appreciate you uh, taking the time out to join us, despite all the poor weather that you've had in Portland the last few days. <laughs> no problem. Happy to help. That's Lindsay Schnell from Sports Illustrated and Campus Rush. Make sure to check her out on Twitter at underscore Lindsay Schnell. Lindsay, we appreciate it. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. So as you just heard, that was our interview with Sports Illustrated's Lindsay Schnell. Again, you can follow her on Twitter at Lindsay underscore Schnell. She posts great content on there. She posts all of her work. Uh, We were definitely thrilled to have her on the podcast. Uh, Kevin, what were your thoughts about Lindsay? I enjoy the piece that uh, we sort of discovered her with, the Joe Mixon piece. I thought that was really thoughtful and insightful, and we'll post a link to that uh, on our social media as well, so you guys can be sure to read through that. But um, as I've gotten to uh, read more of her work, gotten to listen to her, um, if you haven't heard the SI College Football Podcast, uh, it's, it's a good podcast anyway, but there's a newer episode, something about the Arborhood, where she does sort of an NPR take uh, on an interesting story about a, a OU students moving into um, this neighborhood with a lot of small families, starter families, things like that, and kind of how they fit in and how the neighborhood responds to them. There's a lot of interviews with um, with the children, with the families. There's some music interspliced. Very thoughtful, very interesting. So I went, and I know it's like t- pulling teeth sometimes to get people to do reviews, uh, even on our own podcast, much less someone else's. But if you do get a chance, uh, you should certainly go uh, listen to that podcast and give it a good review as well because it was, it was a wonderful work. But, um, but I was 
I'm her biggest fan of the world now, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, everything she's done has been great. She also wrote that piece I kind of alluded to uh, about uh, Owen Daniels' little brother, Hayden Daniels, who was a walk-on at U of H and then was awarded a full scholarship. There's actually a great video online, if you go watch it, of Tom Herman sort of tricking him into coming up to the front of a classroom as though he's about to berate him for not correctly filling out his uh, his scholarship paperwork. And he's like, well, don't worry, because we've taken care of it, and gives him uh, a full scholarship in front of the entire team. Everybody hugs. There's tears. It's an amazing video. Um, so certainly, uh, she turned me onto that and, uh, and she's a great writer, great writer, great podcaster. You know, we, we support podcasts here and, uh, could have been more proud to have her on. And it's a personal project of mine, obviously to, uh, to, to, to hear more women's voices. Cause I think in sports sometimes, um, there are certainly women doing great things. I mean, I follow a lot of them on Twitter. Uh, I certainly read their work and things like that. But but uh, it's only recently that we're beginning to see women uh, sort of take on a more prominent role and get um, some of the credit they deserve for the good work they're doing. So I'm happy and proud to be part of, uh, you know, broadcasting some of that out and, and uh, providing a platform for uh, women with really strong voices who have a lot of good things to say. On that subject specifically, uh, you know, I think the Joe Mixon case was uh, very surprising for a lot of folks. I mean, the fact that one, how Oklahoma handled it, uh, but two, specifically with this Orange Bowl and him having his first media opportunity. And I thought Lindsay covered that remarkably. I mean, if you go back and look at her Twitter timeline, uh, you know, she was able to, uh, you know, make people think. She was able to uh, write and, and and have thought-provoking comments and commentary. And so I would definitely recommend following her on Twitter. So I thought it was an interesting perspective to, you know, kind of hear her opinions about how that coverage shook out um, and, and just, you know, the broader landscape of uh, domestic violence and, and not only college football, but sports in general. I mean, it's it's a really sad state that, you know, this is an ongoing issue that we have to discuss. Uh, you know, I hope that, you know, in a few years when we're still doing this podcast, that that is something that, you know, we won't have to mention that, you know, there is action actually taken. Uh, but, you know, I think Lindsay is, you know, doing the right thing. She's using the platform that she has at Sports Illustrated, a reputable uh, publication, and she's able to create conversation. And I think creating that conversation and that discourse is what is going to help prevent these domestic violence cases from happening in the future. And just as a point of contention there, domestic violence, I don't I don't think that there was any indication that the woman mix and hit was in any sort of relationship, I believe. So I think just for clarification purposes, yeah, it was just a, a violence against women is what the term she used. And of course, uh, that that is applicable. He certainly he broke a woman's jaw. Um, and if that video does ever come to light, boy, is that going to be... Um, uh, really bad for for OU and for Mixon and uh, and for everyone involved there. Just given the tepid and sort of um, lukewarm you know reaction or the the punishment the the lack of punishment really that was handed down to him. But uh, but yeah, so uh, I think that I think certainly you've heard it. It it, uh, it deserved it merited its own podcast episode. Um, we wouldn't have wanted to try to cut that down to twenty minutes or, or, or twenty five minutes to fit into a larger episode. So I'm I'm proud of of um, you know the the interview we had to put it all together here and uh, and releasing it and packaging it and uh, certainly very thankful to Miss Chanel for coming on the podcast and sharing her perspective with us because it was uh, it was valuable and good to have absolutely so this is the third time that we've done a supplemental episode and I think it's probably one of the best interviews that we've had here on the weekly brew podcast uh, but Kevin I definitely enjoyed recording today's podcast and uh, you know the interview that we had with Lindsay yes it was extremely enjoyable i was i mean i hope the listeners feel the same way i was wrapped the entire time uh, i don't know if you can tell just from my end of the audio and the interview but i was i mean i was really um i enjoyed every minute of that that, that she had to offer there but uh, so certainly enjoyable and always enjoyable to talk with you as well austin even if it is uh taking time out of the middle of the week which we normally don't do but uh i was just going to be selfish 
for a moment and uh, drop my own Twitter handle. You guys uh, can follow me at at kmichaelcook. That's my name, of course, Kevin Michael Cook. Uh, those of you that listen to the Auxiliary Podcast now know my middle name, and you can sort of brag uh, to your friends about the stuff that they don't know. You've got the insider knowledge. But at kmichaelcook, and uh, you can always read my work on uh, Houston Community Newspapers. That's yourhoustonnews.com. So feel free to reach out to me there, engage through my work email, which they insist on posting with all of my articles so that every crazy person that reads something I write can contact me. But uh, be one of those crazy people. Reach out on Twitter uh, or there, and I'd love to, uh, to interact with readers there. So, And if you want to follow us on social media, just besides K. Michael Cook, you can also follow my personal account at, at a Staten, that's S-T-A-T-O-N. And the accounts that we really care that you follow about are Weekly Brewcast. You can search Weekly Brewcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also find us online at weeklybrewcast.com. So make sure that you go there and find uh, great content. Also, we want you to leave us a review on iTunes. You know, tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Make sure that you give us five stars. This week, again, we want you to uh, go to Lindsay Chanel's podcast, the SI College Football Podcast. Leave her a good word. She does great work. Also, give her a follow on Twitter at Lindsay underscore Chanel. But Kevin, it's been a great episode. Looking forward to episode 25 that will drop next week. But as always, for my co-host, Kevin Cook, I'm Austin Staten. We'll see you next week. And brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew.